Today is the eighth part of our Ephesians series, and I've entitled it Love and Unity. And my goal today is that we would all catch the incredibly motivating idea in these verses. This is the smallest chunk I've taken so far as we've been moving through, only six verses, but I couldn't go further because this is just so exciting to me. And so I'm going to give you the story so far and then an outline of where we're going today. We began with the epic poem that opens Ephesians, one long sentence, verse 3 to verse 14, exquisite jewel of a sentence, it's poetic. And then we looked at Paul's prayer for us, um, this amazing prayer that he has, and then we looked at being joined to Jesus, like being lifted off the deck of a sinking ship by being attached to the one that rescues us. It's not that he's, he's pulled us out. He's actually attached us to himself. And so our future is connected with him. And then a week four, we looked at our, our new identity and we had an identity card I handed out. And then we looked at uh, section five was about the, the, the broken wall, the wall of hostility that split into Jews and Gentiles, God broke that down, and Jesus took the hostility on himself. And then we saw uh, the sex part, God now revealed the secret hidden through the ages that the unity of his people will break the power of darkness. And these are all online if you missed them and want to catch up on them. And then last time, the prayer we would all love to receive, and we actually prayed for one another during the meeting during that time. So part eight... Uh, is um, sorry, that's part, this is the prayer we would love to that's summarizing it of all the prayers prayed over people in the Bible this must be the pinnacle and uh, so part 8 I'm going to first of all look at the passage and then share with you an idea that I have about verses 2 and 3 that I'm very excited about and then we'll talk about our an opportunity to be God-like so uh, First of all, before we look at the the passage, Ephesians is six chapters. Kind of falls neatly into chapters one to three are dealing with the um, understanding our calling, the truth, the power, the richness, and it's 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 about who we are. Then the second half is an appeal to live a life worthy of who we now are. So it like it's like. Um, you could say theory and practice, but that's not a, they don't like those words for it. It's like the truth and then the implications of those tr- that truth. Um, and that's how the book divides up. And it's right in the middle between these two. He has the words, I urge you or I appeal to you. So on the basis of what he's been saying, I appeal to you. And it's interesting that this expression... Um, I urge you, I appeal to you, is exactly the same one as he used in Romans 12, where he is the same kind of point, moving on to the last part of Romans, and in 1 Thessalonians 4, where he does the same thing. He uses the same expression at the same point in the epistle. Uh, So let's have a look at the passage then. And I'm just going to uh, fill the screen with this. There we go. And... um, So, let's read it. I therefore appeal to you, so that's the, I urge you, this is the appeal, as the prisoner of the Lord, to walk worthy of the calling you've been called into. This is where he has been 
going so far. And the expression is actually interesting to work worthy of the calling you've been called into. It's, um, he's using the same word twice. It's a kind of poetic usage that can sometimes happen in the Greek, and he's used it twice already in this book. He used the expression in chapter 2, verse 4, God's great love which which he's loved us is doubling it up. God's love with which he loved us. And then he said God's grace which which he graced us with in the beloved in chapter 1, verse 6. So this kind of poetic doubling is is, um, being used by Paul here. The calling you've been called into and walk worthy of it. And so that's like the intro here. And then we, we, we jump into um, this section. And I put two boxes around there. And the first box is seven unifying behaviors. Seven behaviors which cause unity. And the second box there is there are seven ones. Um, so uh, let's read verses two and three. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, urgently making effort to keep the unity of the Spirit by the bond of peace. And then we have verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in the note on the right there, it says seven ones and three persons. Can you spot what I mean by three persons there? It's a little riddle for you. Yeah? Okay, verse four is the reference to the spirit. One of the persons. Yeah. Yeah, did you get that? So, one spirit in verse 4, one Lord. Well, we use the Lord um, Lord kind of generally. Paul, 20 times in Ephesians, he uses the word Lord about Jesus, referring to Jesus. Paul calls Jesus Lord. It's one of his names. So you can be pretty sure he never calls the Father Lord um, or the Spirit Lord. This is pretty precise here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Isn't that beautiful? Like if you're looking for a statement of the Trinity, there's lots of these kind of woven in statements in Paul's writings. And um, uh, it's, um, it's, it's really beautiful. And so then we have uh, verse 4. So let's just look at this. Verse 4, one body and one spirit. Um, this is the spirit's intimate connection with the new body that I'll talk about in a moment. And then we have uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And faith there, it really means um, your, your beliefs. So our common faith unites us, that we all have the same things, we believe the same things in common, that Jesus died for our sins, was risen, rose from the dead and will return. And these things are like unifying things that hold us together. One baptism is interesting because it's the baptism that brings you in that's a marker of being a member of the body. And I want to say at this point, if there's anyone who's following Jesus and hasn't been baptized, we would love to baptize you a new life. And um, the last time we did it, we did it down at Cherry Beach at the lake. And we had, uh, it was just love, it was a nice day. And we had a lovely baptism. We've done it in, in indoors as well at times. So um, we would love to do that. Come and talk to me if that's, uh, if, if that's your position right now. 
But the idea then is that uh, Jesus, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then verse 5, we have, we have uh, God and Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. And this idea of God, you know, he is the supreme being. And that's echoing many of the thoughts that are there up to now in this book. So I work, before we move on, there's one really, really neat thing about this is that here is talking about unity, verses 1 through 6. Our passage today is talking about unity. Um, but, and I'm going to switch back to uh, my other slides now, Peter. Um, uh, but um, there's also, in the rest of the chapter, diversity. And it's all about the different gifts people have, the different contributions. Some part are a hand, some an eye, and everybody's needed. And so it's this balance between unity and diversity in the body that is, makes this whole chapter fit together. So we'll be looking at that next time. And then before we kind of launch in more detail, there's one more thing I want to show you. And that is the connection with Colossians. So Ephesians and Colossians are like brother and sister. They are written probably similar times to churches in the same sort of area. And Colossians is slightly smaller and not written quite in the kind of poetic style of Ephesians. But the, some of the ideas are like so similar that you can actually, if you don't quite understand it in one book, you can look at it in the other. And so I'm going to give you today's passage in Colossians, and you can see if you can spot any similarities. So Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, and patience. Oh, I've given it away by putting it in red, haven't I? Uh, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So a lot of similarity there, isn't there, between those two. Um, but there's a difference so not only is Ephesians much more kind of compact and poetic, but Ephesians has got this Trinity bit immediately following. What's that in there for? It's not obvious that when you're talking about how we can show love to one another, you should then switch to different aspects of the Trinity. What's going on? And this is where I want to share with you an idea for today that I think is um, really exciting. And uh, so what I want to do is to go through the seven behaviors now in our passage and, and uh, see what we can find. So the first one that we have there is humility. And humility, um, it's interesting that in Greek culture at that time, humility wasn't valued at all. It was thought of, you, nobody should be humble. It was like, you're only humble if you have to be because you're so, you know, you're so destitute. So it wasn't valued. But in the, in the Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, it was valued. God really hated pride and loved humility. And Jesus came teaching humility. And uh, he said, for example, Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's just a beautiful verse there. 
Now, here's where I want to make a jump. Here's our passage. Here's our passage. So in the bottom half, we have the Trinity, three lines. Um, the top one, verses 2 and 3, do you think the Trinity is there as well? Is there anything in there that could link us to the Trinity? Three rows. It's clearly it's in three phrases. Can you see anything? It's quite clear that the, that the third phrase here, the third clause, is linked to the Holy Spirit. Quite clear, because it says Holy Spirit there. It says Holy Spirit. If we look at the reference that I've just given you in Matthew, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble. I am the gentle, humble one. And he is picking up on the same words here, um, humility and gentleness. Jesus is the gentle and humble one. And we're going to look later at other verses talking Jesus' humility, because coming to earth as a human was the ultimate act of humbling yourself. And so humility and gentleness was Jesus, you know, gentle Jesus. And so when we're called into humility and gentleness, we're called to be Jesus-like. This is what, so this is my idea for today. Uh, what about patience bearing with one another in love? Is that God the Father? Well, actually, uh, there is some very good evidence that it is. Um, so um, I, will, I will come to that in just a second. Um, uh, and then, of course, verse 3, we've got the Trinity there. So um, one, more, one more verse. Actually, let's, let's look at the Father in... Um, the patience bearing one another in love. Let's look at that. Exodus 34. So this is a revelation of God on Mount Sinai when Moses is, when the Israelites have broken the commands, they had the golden calf, the whole thing, and Moses is going back for a second go. And Moses cut the two tablets of the stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded. Now, Lord there, that's the Hebrew Lord, which is different to the one that um, Paul was using in Ephesians. As the Lord had commanded him and took his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and this is God's self-definition, the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? This is God's self-definition, keeping steadfast love for thousands. This would have been well known amongst the readers to this epistle. And I'm sure when they read this line in this letter, uh, where Paul's kind of alluding to this connection here, they're saying, okay, so this is the God who like was so patient with Israel, constantly, like they were such a troublesome bunch, like constantly breaking them again and again, and in the end, you know, he sent them into captivity, but he loved them and brought them back. And this is the kind of long-suffering we have to have. This is the kind of patience we're being called into. And yeah, okay, well, that's pretty extreme, but I get it. So this is, I'm going to claim then that what we're looking at here is the gentleness and humility of Jesus. We're looking at this patient love that bears with us of the Father, and we're looking at the, the unity and peace of the Holy Spirit. So um, what I want to say to you then, I think I've got one more 
Okay, this is the spirit verse. This is the unity of the spirit. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And um, the idea here is that um, when you become a Christian, you're, you're baptized into the body through the spirit, and you're born by the spirit, and you, you become a new creation. Now, what that means is you actually have a new DNA. This part of you, of course, is carrying the old DNA of the body, which will you will lose it when we die, but the new creation is born in the spirit, we're told. It's a new DNA. And you know how, how dogs can always recognize one another? You know, even if you think, is that even a dog? You know, you, another dog will recognize it's a dog. You know, they've got, they can tell. It's the same thing that we, there's something about other believers that we should resonate with, that the Spirit has put in both of us. And because the Spirit has put in both of us, then the, there is something there that is deep, that's a unity in the Spirit. Because we, we have the same kind of deep resonance. And have you ever been with somebody and you're in like in a secular situation? You think, I wonder if that person's a Christian. I remember once thinking that, and the, like it wasn't at all a Christian topic or conversation. There was just some, I thought, I wonder if they're a Christian. And um, I looked at the name tag they had. And uh, afterwards, I Googled the name tag and found out who they were. And, oh, yeah, she, she she's on staff at a church. So then I talked to her and discovered that she was a Christian and we had some fellowship together. But it was like that that um I knew that that this person was a Christian because this is deep resonance. But you know, even when we know there's something there that we share in common. So um <clears throat> what I want to say then, and this is my key message for today. This is the punchline. And if you remember one thing today, this is what I want you to remember. Um, and this is that if I'm right about this, then Paul is using Trinity as an example of unifying behavior. And this is very exciting because this is my idea. When we do these seven things to bring unity, we are being godlike. You have the opportunity to be godlike when you do these three things. So, um, so I'm excited because, um, I've, I've got all the best academic commentaries and they all agree about the second set being the Trinity, about verses four to six, but none of them I could find had spotted that same idea in verses two and three. So I'm going to see if I can, I can get it out there because I think it's a tremendous, um, it's a tremendous idea. The other thing about it is that it fits in perfectly with the mission of Ephesians because Ephesians, Paul has started by saying God's ultimate purpose is unity. This is where God is going with, with uh, reality. He's taking us to unity and you are to, you are participating in that. That's what he's saying at the beginning. And I think Paul is launching the second half of Ephesians by saying, yeah, you can join God in this action. So this is how I'm trying to motivate you today and how Paul is. You get to be godlike when you do this. You get to do actions that actually lift you on a new plane. And we're going to talk about that now practically in just one moment. Um, so that's God's master plan. So there's a verse which, um, which says pretty much this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the the important thing is verse 5. Have this mind in you which was... uh, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, be Christ-like by being humble. So um, I, want to, I want to ask you, if we're looking at this verse, humility is about whether you feel you're more important than the people around you or you know, they're just as important as you are. It's about how we value others. And after church, you can practice this skill, Okay. As we're having food together, you can practice uh, what this is by lifting up other people. Because what you do, the, the, the goal isn't that you push yourself down in the dust. The goal is that you, you lift other people up in this behavior. Then we talk, I'm going to go back to, no, we'll stay there. Um, patience. So patience, um, literally the the, the Greek word literally means long-tempered. So instead of having short temper, you've got a long temper. You know, it takes a long time before you blow your top. And uh, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Jesus tells a story. I won't read it here, but um, he tells a story of a man who... Um, was owed a lot, and he got all sorts of trouble, and the master called him, and he, he had to give account, and he pleaded that he, you know, he, he could, please, could I have more time? And the master said, oh, I, I forgive you. And then he went to another servant, and the other servant owed him something, and he was ruthless and unforgiving. And what's important about this story is that do we model our um, forgiveness um, uh, and our attitude to others on what God has forgiven us. And it's funny, um, as I was this morning during, as our time of worship, I was just thinking about what I was going to say and as I was praising God. And I thought, you know, Andrew, are there any people that you need to lift up? And God reminded me of some people and um, I needed to lift up. And then I thought this, this um, idea in this verse came to my mind how much does God have to forgive you? Like, how much have I messed up? These people had messed up and it was irritating. How much do I mess up all the time and God forgives me all the time? How much more do I need to, to forgive others around me who you know, forget things or don't do things properly? Do, do you get irritated by people letting you down or, or not doing things they've committed to do, that sort of thing? Maybe you don't. I think you probably all do. Um, just remember... How much God has done for you and how committed God is to forgiving you and let that be a motivation for patience. Um, so so uh, he goes on to the expression bearing with one another in love and um, there's a beautiful, uh, one of the commentaries had this beautiful expression. Bearing with others means fully accepting them in their uniqueness including their weaknesses and faults, and allowing them worth and space. I love that. Bearing with others means fully accepting them in their uniqueness, including their weaknesses and faults, and allowing them worth and space. So 
That is, a, that is a key part of what we're being called to do here. As we're going through, we've looked at humility and gentleness in Jesus. We've looked at this patient bearing with one another in love in God the Father and the way he does that with us. And then um, verse 3, uh, I've translated it urgently making effort because um, the expression is not just you need to do this, you know, you should make an effort. It's actually, there's an intensity, like a desperation in this. It's like this is a crisis. And some some people would say you could actually translate, like, like in a crisis, make an effort to keep unity of the spirit. As if, you know, things are falling apart. Not that they are, but like have that level of determination and commitment that this is so important to keep this unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. And um, so uh, having having peace with one another in this. So... Uh, I would say that um, the, the peace is linked in here because peace has a unifying effect. When there's peace, then unity can build in that. So I'd like now to, to lay, you, lay a challenge down for you. And um, let's get to the right slide. There we go. Here's my challenge. Will you take to heart these seven behaviors and be God-like today? I'm just, we're just finishing now. And I'm just drawing to a close now, and I'm leaving you with a challenge. Are you up for this today, these seven qualities? Are you going to do this today? You're up for this challenge, because this is an urgent challenge to do this. And um, so I just remind you of what the behaviors are. And also, I want to remind you that this brings joy to God. You know, um, when we do this, we're being God-like. But God is so pleased by unity. He is so delighted by unity. There's a, in Psalm 133, it describes the joy linked with his unity as like a perfume that's pouring over us. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It's like the precious perfume on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this is so pleasing to God when we do this. We're being God-like and we're bringing joy to him. So here are the behaviors, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love and keeping unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So I just want to say then a few things about these things. So what about humility and gentleness? Well, humility, have a conversation with someone that you might be tempted to feel is inferior to you. Now, we're all going to think afterwards, does this person think I'm inferior? And that's why I'm talking. No, so that, there's lots of other conversations we can have here. So, But all, I'm going to suggest you talking to a child um, you know, we only have a couple of kids today, but talking to a child is an example of this and actually being interested. Now, what do you think? But when you're talking with somebody who um, you feel is inferior, it's not to impart your wonderful wisdom to them, but it's actually like, how are you? Like, what's go what, what, how are things for you? Do you have any insights? Actually valuing them, not just talking to them. So, um, um, then the gentleness would be seeing somebody who you think might be hurting. 
Somebody who you think might be suffering a little bit, something's wrong, and just asking them how they are and um, showing some gentleness to them. And it might be hurting now or it might be hurting in the past, but that, I think, is the essence of the gentleness there. Somebody who, There's some fragility there. Um, so that would be the first line, being Jesus-like. The second line would be the patience. So what I would suggest is that... Um, um, Think of somebody who um, has maybe irritated you a bit recently and uh, maybe even this morning irritated you. And uh, just in your mind, you don't need to talk to them. I mean, you can do, but in your mind, do this God switch thing. And like I did earlier and think, you know, how does God think of me? How can I switch that uh, that that, um, patience God has with me to thinking of them? And just do that in your attitude. And then the last one, I would say, um, urgently making an effort. Do something to promote unity. Now, it could be asking someone out for coffee this week. You know, it could be just like there's lots of things that you can do. Something that's actually going to create unity in the future. So think like, God, how can I, what can I actually do? This is urgent. This is so important to build unity. What can I do? Um, Even if somebody's got something that I could pray for are committing to praying to them for that or um, something that you can do that would build unity. And there are so many possibilities that there could be. I can't give you all the ideas. You would have to ask God to give you suggestions in that. But um, just leave you this one idea. This brings such joy to God because you are being God-like when you do these things. I want you to remember that. I want that to motivate you. That is why Paul wants us to be motivated. We are being God-like. God is so excited because this is his ultimate end for humanity. And we can be part of that. So let's just pray, shall we? And ask God to give us himself, his own character, that it will flow from him, but also to give us ideas for how we can do this. Father, we thank you for these wonderful verses and we thank you, Lord, that you are so you are so beautiful in your character. You are so patient with us, you are so gentle, you are so humble, you you love us so much, you love peace, and you committed to unity. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray, Lord, that you would give us the motivation and give us the ideas. Put your own love and unity in us now that we will be able to, it will be able to flow out to others around us. We ask it in the name of the humble and gentle one, Jesus Christ. Amen.